Morning of Medical presents Dr. G at the Heart of Healthcare. The mission of our podcast is to educate and empower, helping people see what's needed to navigate the healthcare system. In three parts, you will enjoy a story, the theme of the show, you will be educated with a teaching point, and you will be empowered with a valuable resource. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Dr. G at the Heart of Healthcare. I have my friend here from Texas, actually through Long Island, right? Um, Jared Rubenstein, uh, Dr. Rubenstein here, and we are going to talk about pediatrics. Don't turn it off. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's an honor to join you. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Um, you know, my first episode was, you know, H word. It's not a bad H word to help people not be afraid of hospice, but you throw those children in there. People want no parts of it. So thank you for being here. Um, so let me do a little introduction on you. Um, so you're associate professor of pediatrics at Baylor College of Medicine, program director of the Pediatric Hospice and Palliative Medicine Fellowship, pediatric palliative care physician at Texas Children's, and my favorite thing, you dispel myths and misconceptions in those funny two-minute videos. What's up? Yeah, no, thanks so much for the lovely introduction. And yeah, the, the videos definitely started by accident, and it's not something I really, really saw myself doing, but I think that first fire department video was made just in frustration one day after getting a consult call that we all get, where it's, you know, we want you to come see this patient. We think you'd be really helpful, but maybe don't call yourself palliative care and maybe just talk about pain and don't talk about goals and don't say anything scary, but we think you'd be really helpful, but maybe don't be too scary, but try to be helpful and also maybe change the name of your team. That's and crazy. After, after the millionth one of those, I thought, you know, it feels like if you were to call the fire department and then ask them to come, but not say the word fire because they might scare somebody while their house is on fire and made that video and put it out in the world. And, and the response to it was, was wonderful and, and motivated me to say, all right, I guess maybe there's, there's, this is a, this is a forum that we can use to talk about other hard things too, and, and keep, keep kind of pushing and, and working on the myth and misconception out there about hospice and palliative care. Well, I had no idea that was your first video, but I for sure saw it and I could not stop laughing because it's so absurd to think that, um, you wouldn't mention a fire. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So let's, let's, let's deal with that. Well, so how you said you've done about how many videos? I think since maybe then? there's 60 something now with, with some spinoffs and probably most of them are palliative care, but then realizing that, you know, with a little bit of satire and animation and humor, you can help people lean into other hard topics too. And so I've spun off some and do a couple on mental health, gender equity, racism in medicine. And that's become with some colleagues sort of a whole spinoff series is the anti-racism animation series. But the idea that, you know, we can we can talk about other hard things with with this forum and, and help people lean into the things that we think are important, but that are hard to talk about. I'm glad you said that because during the pandemic um, and, you know, the social justice being on, center stage since we were all home, a lot of us on 
uh, Twitter, or is it X? I don't know what we should call it. Uh, we were just having our private happy hour, you know, since we couldn't go anywhere, we got on Zoom and we met and became friends. But we were talking about how hospice and palliative physicians, we are leaders in these conversations, what people call difficult conversations. I'm actually trying to get new vocabulary for that because I'm tired of saying a difficult conversation. It's a necessary conversation to talk about mm -hmm. somebody dying or if it's a fire, right? You have, you have to say fire when there's a fire. Um, so we were talking about how we should lead it and we could lead it. We could be the bridge, you know, for, you know, different sides of the track in our country, you know, who were having issues, not um, having less compassion from one for one side or the other. But I think we all want the same thing at the end of the day, right? Um, and so our, our own American dream in a different way. And so um, that's what we talked about. So that's very interesting. And then I saw your most recent one was valuable resources. Funny thing, you're the valuable resource today. <laughs> oh, thank you. So, so thank you for putting those out there. Um, so since we're talking about children, let's ease our listeners into that, you know, a little bit. So they're not scared. So I wore a t-shirt with my granddaughters on it. Zoe, oh, look at that. Beautiful. Yeah. Actually, she is going to be spending the weekend here. So I'm so excited. I have like 20 Amazon packages at my door <laughs> in oh, preparation for. Yeah. Yeah. So little Jarrett grew up where? Tell us about childhood, Jarrett. Yeah. So I, I grew up in New York on Long Island. And um, as a kid, you know, my dad was a adult poem critical care doctor and my mom was a social worker and it, it sometimes felt like our dinner table conversations were little interdisciplinary team meetings and my dad would talk about his end of life patients and supporting them and being with families and and doing hard things and it just I never wanted to be a doctor before but that always sort of stuck out in my mind and then when I eventually circled back to medical school later it still stuck out in my mind and I, I learned that there was a whole field that just did that called palliative care and I, I was sold that is awesome. Well, I grew up in LA and um, I didn't want to be a doctor because I thought it took too long. So I decided to flip my American dream upside down and do it. But I'm here and I'm so grateful. This was the only field for me because I could use my sociology degree, just all the things having the mind of a sociologist to go to a stranger's house and talk to them about the ultimate. Right. For sure. and um, and to, I think here's to non-traditional med school applicants who bring life experience and, and a diversity that is, has not historically been a part of medical school. Out here getting it done. Right. Cheers. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's what happened. So so that that's the story I was going to ask you. So how did you choose this? I want to know, you know, back to how you help the community talk about hard things or necessary things. Where did you learn a technology to make those videos? So it's actually really easy. I'm not a particularly tech savvy person. It's just a, a app that I have on my phone uh, called Plotagon. It's, it's really user-friendly and you can, anyone can do it. You just pick, you make characters and you, and you write in the text and then the, the app sort of animates it for you. No way. Have you done yeah. one with hospice? I want to be on your, on a video. Let's do one. I am. I love the collaborations. I would be happy to. Oh, so I could be, okay. I want to be the hospice person. And when they're like having misconceptions, like, okay, we're well, on hospice now, they'll deal with you. And then I come in, maybe we tell them what's up in the streets. Let's do it. 
Awesome. So I wanted to talk about, you know, palliative care for pediatrics, because, you know, I know that just from the little interactions I've had with people who are in the business, in the industry, I should say, uh, they have challenges with getting people to be the medical director to help because everyone gets their own emotions involved. Like, oh my gosh, that's so hard. Like hospice and palliative is already difficult when someone's dying. But when a child is dying, um, I remember wanting to help start, you know, a pediatric arm of, of a program years ago. And, you know, the person who who could have done it was like, no, I'd be crying every day. We can't do it. And they weren't even going to be on the IDT. And I was like, how can we ignore parents and children if we're going to be leaders in the community? I want to be a leader in the community, not because I want to be famous, but because I want to help. And I want people to have access to what they need. Um, and I remember when I was on my palliative medicine elective, I had the opportunity to rotate, you know, with the, the palliative team over there and sit in some family meetings. So scary. I feel like it's more scary. A mother sitting there, her child is, you know, on the ventilator and all these people are speaking all this jargon to, to convince her that the child is not going to get better and just as a mother, I identified with that. And so I felt like I could help from that place. And I remember, I remember that day so vividly, like, I can't believe we just had this meeting and she was sitting there by herself with all these smart, you know, whoever's all around the table. And um, it was very intimidating. Like, I feel that weight. How do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, no, it's a great point. I think I think palliative care and hospice always has a challenge that our culture doesn't like talking about serious illness and, and death and dying, but it really doesn't like talking about it in kids and doesn't like to acknowledge that that happens in kids. But I think it's all the more reason that we need to do it and do it well, because I think kids deserve the best and and the, their families deserve the best, just like anyone wants for, for their child. If they are having an, an illness or, or a life-threatening illness, they deserve to be able to give them the best. And I think that's why our team exists. And you know, people, the, the how do we do it piece we talk about a lot because we always, when people hear about our work, they say, oh, that's so sad. Oh, that's so sad. And I sort of think about it in two ways. One is that I, I think, I mean, it, it can be really sad. There are some days that are great. Some days nothing sad happens. It's just a chance of getting to meet wonderful children and families and help them deal with whatever their challenge is that day and, and trying to take their day and make it better. Um, I think on the days it is hard, you know, people assume that when we're, uh, when they come visit our team, because we're a pediatric palliative care team, we're going to be these sort of sad, somber, broken people. And then they find that we're, we're mostly delightful to be around and talk to. And, and I think we're forced to develop coping strategies and, and support each other and, and support ourselves in the way that I think would be great if everyone in medicine did, but, but they don't because it's not normalized. And so we, we try to eat lunch together in the hospital most days. We do a lot of debriefing and supporting each other. So if we have a particularly challenging visit afterwards, we talk about it before we go to the next visit and take take five or 10 minutes to, to give ourselves a chance to process our feelings, to kind of talk through what's going on so that we can leave some of it there and not carry it around with us all day. And, and before we go home from the office, sort of talk to each other again and check in so that we don't have to bring all this home to our families and just normalize that like, yeah, we do see a lot of hard stuff and we can support each other through it and talk about it so that we can we can keep doing it the next day. And 
we sometimes get get called to do debriefings for other teams. And that question always comes up is like, you know, thank, how do you do this? Like, thanks so much for doing this. We like show us how to talk about it because we don't know how to talk about it. And then we'll have you come back next time. We need to talk about it. And I say, no, 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 we're happy to help. But like, you have to just talk about this every day. Like we all see hard stuff, whether you're in palliative care and hospice or not working in a hospital. And we should normalize that we see stuff that's not normal and we see stuff that the rest of the world doesn't understand and that we should talk to each other about it and support each other so that we can go out and be citizens in the rest of the world and, and not sort of have it weighing us down all the time. And then part of me loves the work because I think we do create space for people to talk about the hard things. I think it's so important. And one of the things that I love the best about my job is that we run towards the thing that everyone runs away from. Drop the mic. <laughs> well, don't, don't drop the mic, but that is hopefully we can encourage more primary palliative care. They don't have to wait until um, the brink of death to consult us. But let's let's focus on the pediatrics. Could you tell the listeners, because uh, I don't want to keep them too long, or they might be, you know, this might be overwhelming. What are some of the common, if you could maybe give three to five common things that you see in you know your work, some of the consults that come through so that people understand how they can get help. Um, you know, neonatal stuff. So maybe you can share a little bit of yeah. that and we'll that's how we'll end on that. Yeah. And so and I mean in terms of diagnoses, we see maybe about a third-ish of the the children we take care of have cancer. Um, about a third have severe neurologic impairment, either from a genetic or metabolic disease or from a, a brain injury or extreme prematurity. And then a third have other chronic illness, whether it's lung disease with something like cystic fibrosis or pulmonary hypertension or heart failure, um, things like that. And in terms of what we do, we, we just meet people where they're at and we help them with pain and symptom management. We help them plan for the future. We help them make sure that when they're in a hospital that can be a big lonely place that they have a team with them so that hopefully it doesn't have to feel so lonely. And if they have to make these big impossible life-changing decisions that they have us as a sounding board to kind of bounce stuff off of and, and feel like they have a partner in, in shared decision-making and in navigating the impossible illness of their child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Look, you just did that chin rub. <laughs> Is that where you got that one from, from, from the, from the, <laughs> from the video? Cause that's it's, my favorite part. I, I don't know. I don't know if I became the video or if the video became me, but there's a pretty, because it's a, it's a self-contained platform. There's a very limited range of, of emotional gestures people can do. And so I end up using the, the chin stroke a lot. It cracks me up. You just did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. We were talking about something really serious, but you did that. And so I had to say something, but what a blessing that you're there in the hospital to help the families um, get through things. My first experience, maybe even thinking about this as a friend who, um, she's from college. I went to UCLA. Um, and she was a cheerleader, you know, very outgoing person. And her first child, uh, had encephaly. Mm. Uh, the, some of the listeners may know, um, you know, if you've been around someone who's pregnant, they get certain tests around, is it 18 weeks when they do that still or earlier 12? Yeah. I don't, I don't remember earlier. And then it sort of goes through like usually between like 12 and 20 weeks. It's a lot of testing. Yeah. And so they're checking for certain genetic um, things. And so that mothers can have the option to continue the pregnancy or not. So uh, being a woman of faith, 
um, it was she had very strong convictions and wanted to, you know, carry things through. Actually, the baby's name was Faith. And this was before social media. And she this is when everyone used to do forwards. Do you remember that? You would get a bunch of forwards <laughs> in everyone's email, mm-hmm. uh, but it was excellent. And so she actually detailed that and it was just so, it was so awesome to see. She had a good experience, um, a loving experience every year, her, her husband and three big kids. She has other children celebrate the birthday and it's just, just commemorate just an amazing journey she went through, but that's how, yeah, you guys help mothers through things when they're going through that. And I remember seeing that um, while I was on my palliative rotation. So that is awesome. Thank you for everything you do. Yeah. Thanks for the support. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you live over there. You were sharing that your wife is a pediatric nephrologist. Yes. Just you and her, any pets or any other? Uh, we've got two kids. There? We've got a, a five-year-old and a 21-month-old, a son and a daughter. So it's, okay. it's a, a, feels like a I full remember, house. <laughs> I remember them days. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Wow. This is amazing. Well, thank you for what you do. And that reminds me, you know, um, since you're a pediatrician, do you have any insights on how we're dealing with all these devices that the children have access to my husband. I'll give him a little shout out. He's doing a summit on how the screen time is, is affecting our children. Um, I remember when I was a stay at home mom, you know, the mom groups would criticize television, but now I go everywhere and I see kids on iPads, not even looking around and exploring and getting into trouble. Uh, they're just looking at a screen all the time. Um, Come on, PD. Yeah. What do you have to say no, about that? That's, man, I have, it is, it is complex. And I, and I think all of us have moments, all of us who were pediatricians before we became parents have had the moments of shame and hypocrisy of, of seeing the other side and remembering all the things we told parents when we were residents in early career, like, oh yeah, no, no screens before age two, no, like no more than this much time a day. And these are all the rules. And then like, especially in the pandemic, like we fell hard and, and our kids now definitely have screens and, and I don't feel good about it. But at the same time, like it, it helps us get by and, and it, it keeps them happy and, and satisfied. And, and it, it's a work in progress. And I will, I have no answers, but I am, I am the, I am the imperfect person that, that does not practice what I preach and, and <laughs> making it work. No, that's funny. I remember when I was a babysitter and I said, when I have kids, they are not getting McDonald's. <laughs> When I used to spend days there, (laughs) Uh, they used to spend days there being the play place. That was like (laughs) one day a week, uh, a field trip. Right. Um, And I like my Big Macs too. So anyway, no, it's good. I think uh, I raised my children when devices were just coming, where it was just kind of like a, a security blanket. You know, we had Columbine we were thinking about. And so we had that little flip phone in the backpack for an emergency. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you get away from a shooter? Uh, since yeah. that's a part of our culture now. And um, then we didn't let them have, you know, the internet or iPhones until, you know, maybe middle school. And I was I was on there. I was on Snapchat. I was I was everywhere showing them what's appropriate, what's not, and that they were building their own brand for college. Like, what kind of kid are you? Someone can look at your 
your social media and, and judge you because I know I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I did. Um, so thank you for sharing those insights. Uh, thank you for taking care of the children, number one, and their families and making those amazing videos. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to your YouTube channel. And um, it's awesome. Let's keep having yeah. fun. Let's make that other video. Yeah, and no, I'm happy to collaborate anytime. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and, and talk about this stuff. I'm, I'm really oh. glad you're given the platform to, to talking about everything on your show and, and the things that matter and, and working on the myths and misconceptions about palliative care and hospice and, and doing the work. Oh, happy to be here. Happy to be here. Thank you for your encouragement. So this is the last episode before the live season finale where we save the children because uh, it's so important. So thank you for being here. Dr. Rubenstein and uh, everyone, take care. Peace. Have a good one. Please visit our website, morningdovemedical.com or any of our social media platforms to ask questions and make requests for future shows. Spread the word by sharing episodes and let's make the culture hospice friendly. Our podcast can be enjoyed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Bullhorn, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. Please subscribe and share. Peace.